0: okay
1: we'll convene this work session to order our gang is all here uh this is christian dorsey chair of the county board presiding and we're here to have our work session on stormwater utility implementation so let's get right to it and i'll turn it over to mr schwartz to introduce this conversation
2: uh thank you mr chair and members of the board uh thanks for another opportunity to have a work session with you on the stormwater utility program it's uh, been 365 days since the last time we had a work session on this. So we last met February 1st of last year. And you're going to hear from the DES team. Um, they've been very busy over the past year working through rate structure options, implementation issues, and most importantly, the kind of community engagement that we've had and that we're planning on having going forward. So we're going to be looking for some direction from you today. Um, to Really what we're doing is following through in your direction to have in place for fiscal 2025, which is a year from next July, we're going to need your head nod on certain key policy areas that focus for the most part on rate structure, um, credit program and a little bit of the confirmation of our timeline. So without uh, further ado, I have next to me, I have Tyler Smith. We have uh, Krista Abel, who's uh, flown in here from a distant region to join us today. And I'm going to turn it over to Greg. Did you want to do introduction? No, I'm going to turn it over to Tyler we're going to turn it over to people who know.
0: (laughs) Uh, Thank you, Mark. And thank you for joining us today for an update on the status of our implementation and the progress we've made to date as well as next steps. Uh, The next slide just shows a brief overview of the agenda and the items we plan on covering today, most of which Mark just covered. Next slide. Uh, We last touched base with you as Mark mentioned at a work session in February of last year um, in 2022 and since then we have been busy on engagement and implementation of the stormwater utility feedback from the public has informed three key areas that we are seeking the board's feedback on our rate recommendation proposed credit program and manual and recommended implementation timeline. The next few slides uh, we have shared before, but we wanted to touch on them very briefly as a refresher, especially for those learning about the project for the first time today. The county is in the process of implementing a stormwater utility as a funding mechanism to pay for the stormwater management program. Instead of funding the program through the sanitary district tax add-on, which is the current model and based on a property's assessed value, the program will be funded based on each property's measured impervious area. It is an alternative way to fund the program. Next slide. This slide illustrates what we mean by impervious area. It's the portion of the property that is covered with hard surfaces that doesn't let rain runoff soak into the ground, so the roof, patio, and walkway are all examples and shown in yellow on this slide. This slide goes through some of the benefits of funding the program through a utility model. Fees are set based on the demand each property places on the system, measured by impervious area. Ultimately, this would create a fair distribution of the cost of the program. This funding model is in alignment with industry trends, with many Virginia jurisdictions billing their programs under a utility, including Alexandria and the City of Falls Church. The rate structure is not designed to be an incentive program, but as a cost recovery mechanism based on runoff contributed by each parcel. This results in an equitable and fair way to distribute the costs. Next slide. So exactly how will the utility work? To measure impervious area on each parcel in the county, we are relying on GIS imagery to calculate the square footage. This work was recently completed for all parcels in the county. The charge will be based on a unit of measurement called an ERU or equivalent residential uh, residential unit. It is estimated for Arlington as the median amount of impervious square footage for a single family home or 2,400 square feet. To calculate the annual fee on each property, we multiply the total ERUs for your property by the rate per ERU. For planning purposes right now, we are using a fee range of $230 to $250 per ERU per year. Next slide. How did we get to this phase of the project we have completed a feasibility study that analyzed this transition moving from this, uh, from the current funding model to the stormwater utility and subsequently did additional work to refine this analysis primarily looking at additional rate options. This work was presented at a work session on February 1st of last year and board direction to move forward with implementing the stormwater utility followed we're currently in the public engagement and implementation phase of this project. These are the main work streams on this slide that make up the implementation team. Each generally has a small team of staff assigned to it. This is a complex project which includes cross-departmental business decisions, business process development and technology integration and so our stakeholders reflect that. Our project team includes representation from Department of Real Estate Assessments, Treasurer, Stormwater, County Attorney and Department of Technology Services. Each one of these work streams has been very busy so I'll mention a few high-level accomplishments. We have completed this phase of public engagement and we will share the results and details with you in a few slides. We have completed GIS mapping and impervious measurements for all county parcels. We are in process of developing our stormwater account management system or what we call SAMS and integrating with the treasurer's billing system ACE as the utility will be billed on the real estate tax bill. Financial and ERU modeling is completed. We finalize our rate structure recommendation, finalized our credit program recommendation and drafted a credit program manual. Along the way, we have actively engaged with the county attorney's office and finally are in process of drafting the business processes necessary for go live next slide. So now we'll move into the rate structure recommendation. This slide shows staff's fee structure recommendation for the utility. We are recommending three customer classes single family multifamily and non residential first for single family we're proposing a tiered rate structure. In this structure, single family attached, typically what you would think of as town homes, will be charged a flat 0.6 ERU, the same as our smallest tier for single family detached homes. There are approximately 6,400 parcels in this class. Single family detached properties, of which there are approximately 28,000, would be placed into tiers based on their measured impervious area, with most homes build one ERU. Homes with less impervious area build slightly less, 0.6. Homes between 3,600 and 4,800 square feet of impervious area would be well built 1.7 ERU. And homes with a very large amount of impervious area that are quite dissimilar from other homes in the county will be billed per ERU like non-residential properties. Using this tier, uh, this tier structure to build single-family detached properties, which also is our largest customer class, eases the administrative burden on the county stormwater and GIS staff while promoting equity within the customer class. will see their bills go up, but most are charged just one ERU or $230 to $250, an average increase of about $96. The middle column shows the rate structure we're proposing for multifamily, where a property would be charged a flat rate of 0.18 ERU per unit on their parcel. We will go into more detail on why we're recommending that on the next slide. The number of multifamily properties is high, approximately 27,500, because many of them are condo units that are billed directly to the condo owner. On the non-residential side, which includes commercial real estate and other non-residential properties such as places of worship, we would bill each property based on the measured square footage of impervious area. Since each property's characteristics are so unique in the non-residential space, it is harder to create tiers with fees assigned, therefore we would charge based on the impervious characteristics unique to each property. The stakeholder advisory group was generally supportive of this fee structure. Next slide. We are recommending the multifamily customer class uh, is charged a flat rate per unit. Um, in this rate structure, the impervious area for all multifamily properties is totaled and divided by the total number of units in the county. That results in a 0.18 ERU assigned to every unit. We are recommending this primarily because structuring the rate in this way. First, charging each parcel based on measured impervious area reduces the burden for properties that have more impervious area, which in this customer class tends to be our garden-style apartments, our more affordable housing types. One theme we heard from our stakeholders was trying to mitigate the large burden shift to garden-style apartments. Adding the multifamily class accomplishes this while being legally defensible. We can't shift burden from the multifamily residential class to other classes. When moving from the tax to the utility, the multifamily residential burden decreases from 34% to approximately 21%. So as a whole, the burden for multifamily will go down with high rise multifamily residential seeing the benefit while garden style properties will still see a burden increase on average. While adding the multifamily residential class and charging per unit will reduce the burden for properties like garden style that tend to be more horizontal, they will still on average see an increase and we have an example of that in a few slides. I would also note that Alexandria has a utility billing structure that bills condos and townhomes as separate customer classes. Adding the multifamily residential class does create some small amount of administrative work relating to maintaining and confirming unit counts for parcels and we'll coordinate that with the Department of Real Estate Assessments. Next slide. Um, this slide shows burden shifting between customer classes going from the tax to the stormwater fee. Uh, overall single family detached goes from 36% to 47% or $36 per homeowner. The, unit, the entire burden shift, and which for this example is using the lower end of our fee range of $230 per you, is due to the new rate structure calculation based on impervious area. The $230 rate assumes today's stormwater program cost. Single-family attached remains the same at 6%. Multifamily goes down from 35% to 21%, and non-residential goes up from 23% to 26%. Next slide. We have provided the public with a stormwater utility fee estimator tool, which can be accessed from this link. The public can look up their property and see their estimated ERUs and a total estimated annual fee. Although this version of the tool is based on preliminary data before we finalize our impervious layer work, our hope is that in releasing it early, it gives property owners in the county a chance to financially plan for the switch. We will be releasing a second version of this tool in the future, now that all impervious area has been measured in the county, and will include more details on the impervious cover for each property. We'll now go through a few examples in the next handful of slides. Uh, this is an example of a block in the 22202 neighborhood. Here we see the most expensive home, Home C, does not have the biggest utility fee. Home B, which has more impervious area, is bumped up to the third tier and charged more. This is demonstrating that assessed value does not correlate to impervious area coverage and that similarly assessed homes may have varying stormwater utility bills. This example illustrates impacts to garden-style apartments by showing the impact to the Barcroft apartments. In this example, we show the calendar year 2023 sanitary tax in the first column. In the second column, for comparison purposes only, we show what the utility fee would have been if we had recommended Charging multifamily-like non-residential based on impervious area of each property, you can see the significant impact going from 25,000 to 113,000 under the utility fee. Our recommended rate structure would bill the Barcroft Apartments 0.18 per unit, shown in the third column, at almost 60,000. While a large increase from the sanitary district tax, the burden is significantly lessened. The reason burden shifts to this class of properties is due to both the sprawling nature of the parcels and the privately owned internal streets and sidewalks. Commercial properties will see varying burden shift impacts. In general, high rise commercial will see a decrease in their stormwater burden with burden increases for more sprawling commercial properties like strip retail with large parking lots and places of worship and nonprofits who are currently tax exempt and under a utility fee would pay as there is no statutory authority to exempt these properties. This example shows the increased burden for a strip retail property in Arlington. And this final example shows a place of worship which is currently exempt and their estimated fee under the utility. I would um, I want to also point out in this example that this church is made up of four separate parcels which is not unique many of the larger places of worship are made up of multiple parcels and it's shown in this slide in the blue outline the combined utility fee is shown on this slide for all parcels and this is uh, this parcel um, example is relevant for the credit discussion in a few slides. So that uh, wraps up my the credit recommendation. I can either continue, Chair Dorsey, or we can pause for questions or feedback. Colleagues,
1: do you have a number of questions that you've built up thus far, or would you like to hear the whole thing? Just one. That's right. Yeah. Go for okay.
3: it. Okay. Um, I'm trying to understand the uh, the townhomes and duplexes. So they are charges you mentioned just equal to, to tier one homes or .6 ERU at would our GIS just be insufficiently granular to assess how much um, impervious surface is associated with a given townhome or duplex? Or is it an administrative burden issue? Why not, actually? Because I imagine there are some duplexes with very little impervious surface and some with very large driveways, for example.
0: Uh, we did look in the first uh, feasibility study we did. We had moved single-family attached. were actually a part of the single-family class, and okay. we could look at... Um, to Putting them into tiers, so they would be either in the smallest tier or the second or the third. But we found that um, most will fall into that lowest tier. There are some larger townhomes that could fall into a higher tier, but it does create some administrative burden with having to break out HOAs and common areas, which uh, adds complexity. Okay. Um, I think also keeping them in one class, and you know, as opposed to you know putting them into the lowest tier. Um, creates an ability to in the future, you know, as part of any maintenance of a utility in four or five years, we'd probably look at doing another rate study and examining it and the properties would already be in their own class so if they were no longer if it was no longer appropriate to build them 0.6 like our lowest tier, we'd have them sort of separated out to look at it, you know a different ERU calculation for that class of properties.
3: Very helpful. Thank you.
1: Mr. Garnonus. Yeah. Thank you. Your microphone.
4: Yeah.
5: Mask and microphone. So um, two questions. Uh, after I thank you for the presentation so far. Uh, number one, Alexandria is, is differentiating between condos and uh, rental properties in the multifamily. What? Why? Exactly. So condos have the, the ability to, you know, to distribute the fee among their their you know the condo unit owners and rentals have a, a one owner mostly and they pay um, so why is that different
0: um, i'm not sure you know i think the characteristics in many cases from previous areas similar we can certainly get back to YOU. Um, and and see if we can find out we're in regular communication with Alexandria on their lessons learned and we can see why they found it important to differentiate between those two. the
5: the big difference is that they have a completely different financial structure at the end. So that's that's uh, that's that's interesting because I I don't know whether under the current system they have been assessed in a different way. That would be would be interesting to me to know whether you know a condo at the end pays a different fee uh, fee uh, and therefore and, and the second thing is we decided at some point that the end, one year is 2,500 square feet this uh, this is just a starting assumption right there is no.
0: Um, our ERU is based on a sampling that we did mm-hmm. in the feasibility study a statistically significant sample of single-family detached homes in the county um, and that was. So it's a measure that fits measure. best for administrative. purposes, And that would be okay. I think another thing you would look at you know and. In your, if you know, in a periodic uh, utility fee study that you would do in another four or five, six years, you could look at does that twenty four hundred square foot assumption still hold?
5: Okay, thank you.
6: All
1: right, we can continue.
0: Okay, moving on to the credit program. Um, Under state code, we are required to offer a credit program. This slide gives an overview of what the design of a good credit program would aim to do. We would want the program to help support water quality, meet regulatory mandates, create private opportunities that support the county's goals, and promote private sector awareness and voluntary behavior. This slide shows the recommended credit program structure. We have structured our credits so that higher credits are given for bigger impacts to the system and for things that take more time and investment. Our credit program is broken into single-family residential and multi-family non-residential. For both groups, the max credit you can have applied to your bill is 35% annually. Under state code, we're required to provide credits for structural stormwater facilities installed as a condition of development through Land Disturbing Activity Permits, or LDA. We're proposing up to a 15% credit for compliant properties. Mandatory structural credits will be tiered, 5% for pre-2014 LDA approvals 10% for LDA under an acre, 15% for LDAs over an acre, and 15% for LDA 2.0, which is one of the most expansive LDA programs in the state. Uh, Moving it onto voluntary credits, we've broken these into actions that earn 5% credit and actions that earn 10. 5% credit amounts for single family includes conservation landscaping, tree planting, and rainwater collection. For multifamily non-residential, it includes conservation landscaping, tree planting, stormwater education, and storm drain marking. In the 10% category for single-family, we have rain gardens and permeable driveways. For multifamily, family um, non-residential, it includes rain gardens, permeable parking lots and driveways, adopt-a-street, stream cleanup, invasive plant cleanup, and parking lot and private street sweeping. Next slide. This slide goes through some of the considerations for developing the credit program. Typically, organizations target their programs to equal between one to 2% of revenue. To put this in perspective for Arlington, this is uh, about 150 to $300,000 annually. Remember, this program is cost recovery so that any revenue decreases result in a higher rate, so the same level of revenue is still generated to cover the cost of the program. For Arlington, we've set our credit cap at 35%. While you may notice this is lower than some other jurisdictions, this is in part Uh, in large part based on the mandatory credits by state code that we're required to give for LDA properties. Our starting point is almost 1% in credits before adding in voluntary actions. Over 2,100 properties will be eligible for mandatory credits and this will likely grow each year. We also don't know what the uptake will actually be on the credit program. It's hard to anticipate applications, so we wanted to start more conservatively, knowing that in the future we can always increase the percentage while it may be more difficult to lower it. A big consideration as we developed the program was that we stay within the state code parameters. We can only give credits by customer class and not by land usage. For example, we couldn't create specific credits for places of worship or nonprofits. The credits would need to be available to all property owners in the non-residential customer class. So we made sure to include credits that appeal to places of worship like volunteer events. We did regional and nationwide benchmarking of credit programs to determine the best mix of voluntary actions to include in our program. Some items that were considered, but ultimately we are not recommending are the no fertilizer pledge because we don't believe it's verifiable, certified nutrient plans, because typically these apply to more agricultural properties, and in Arlington these tend to be golf courses, and permeable walkways and patios. We wanted to focus on the most common paved surfaces that are the most impactful. One final consideration, and this is in response to feedback we heard primarily from places of worship, is that voluntary action should be applied to all properties on an account. So, for example, the church example we looked at when we were looking at at their multiple parcels, if they did one volunteer event, they wanted that credit to apply to all four of their parcels, not just one. Next slide. The primary purpose of the utility we are setting up is to recover costs for the stormwater management program. We are also required by code to have a credit program. Our recommendation attempts to balance the desire of our customers for opportunities to reduce their bills AND REWARD MEANINGFUL ACTIONS WITH THE ADMINISTRATIVE WORKLOAD AND EQUITY CONSIDERATIONS. AS I MENTIONED PREVIOUSLY, A GOOD PROGRAM TARGETS ONE TO TWO PERCENT OF REVENUE OR APPROXIMATELY $150,000 TO $300,000. WE'VE STRIVED TO KEEP PROGRAM ADMINISTRATION AND REQUIREMENTS FOR PROPERTY OWNERS SIMPLE SO THEY DON'T HAVE TO ADD OVERHEAD, SO THAT WE DON'T HAVE TO ADD OVERHEAD IN ACCESS OF THE CREDITS WE ARE PROVIDING. THIS CREDIT PROGRAM IS ENVISIONED TO BE MANAGED BY THE STORMWATER BILLING MANAGER AND THE ONLY STAFF DEDICATED TO PROCESSING credit applications. As we think about administrative burden, it was important for both ease of administration and ease for our customers that the documentation we require for credits be streamlined and simple. In most cases, photo documentation and receipts is sufficient, with some practices requiring a simple diagram. Staff has drafted a credit program manual that will be made available to the public that outlines detailed instructions for applying. The credit manual includes minimum documentation required, frequency of recertification, and whether a credit is ongoing or one time. We also wanted to make it easy for our LDA properties to receive credit without additional red tape, as they already spend time submitting annual compliance documentation to the county. As such, they will not need to apply to receive a credit. As long as they are in compliance, we will automatically give it to them. This is different from other jurisdictions that require them to apply separately. Another way we're trying to reduce overhead is by giving credits on a biannual basis for the ongoing actions they've implemented, such as rainwater collection, landscaping, and rain gardens and permeable driveways and parking lots. We are also grandfathering in many voluntary actions that people have already taken and those would be biannual credits as well. If our credit program is too rich in terms of total credits we provide customers inevitably that will mean that we will need to increase the utility rate to make up the lost revenues. We did discuss with the stakeholder advisory group that less wealthy property owners may not have the means to implement some of the voluntary credit actions but would still be subject to any rate increase that would be required to make up for the credit program revenue lost. So again, we're looking for a balance in what we're offering. And that concludes the credit recommendation portion. And um, again, Chair Dorsey, I can pause for questions or continue
1: on. Sure, we'll have a few in this regard. Anyone like to start us off, Ms. Crystal?
3: Sure, Um, thank you for that. So in addition to the specific credits, It would seem to me that one of the biggest goals perhaps for property owners would be to try to reduce their impervious area square footage overall and then um, uh, request a reassessment. Can you talk a little bit about um, uh, how that might happen if a property owner is to convert some of their property into pervious service. Um, For example, if one of our large churches wanted to turn a parking lot into a reforested area um, How would they go about requesting a new GIS study or a a look at? at, um, Their bill,
0: I think there's a number of ways we would hope to catch that and keeping in mind that we're still finalizing those business Processes now But with many of those use cases in mind as we try to figure out how we'll accommodate those those situations Um, one we're looking at using um, or we're under contract now with a new company That's helping us with our impervious area measurements for GIS called NearMap. They have some new technology where we're able to identify changes in in impervious area. So change detection, that's one. Um, Two, we'll also be looking, this is more in the opposite case um, where somebody would add impervious area. We're looking at pulling building permits in the county so we know when people are adding impervious area. And I think the third way we would know, short of somebody you know, notifying us that they had done that, would be through a, a bill uh, dispute, which we're, bil- okay. we're developing a process now where people will be able to go in through our existing tools we have now that people, some people are already familiar with, Q-Alert, how people log on and mm-hmm. um, notify uh, the county of other issues, will be the same tool that they can go on and, and ask for someone to, my impervious area measurement does not look correct, can you take, you know, another look? We'll be updating our impervious flyover, um, you know, multiple times a year. And so we should wow. be able to detect, you know, from the imagery and, and identify those changes.
3: So are you anticipating that um, the, the uh, category or the tiering would happen on an annual basis anyway? That, that because our maps can be updated so frequently that we generate a new number for folks every year? Well,
0: I think no, the most yeah, most properties doing. it won't change. But yes, we are looking at a, at developing uh, a business process for new construction specifically where we would hope to capture all properties that have had impervious area changes. I think it's a little bit more challenging for people that have reduced impervious area, which is where I think the change detection will become um, important as we figure out how to you know integrate that that new tool into our business process. And, you know, communicating out to homeowners, making sure they're aware of what this charge is so that they do have the knowledge to put in a bill dispute and change their bill if if they've made those changes.
3: Let me, if I could ask just one follow-up question and then I'll yield. So um, I know you you framed very well that this is about cost recovery rather than incentive. If um, there were a large-scale investment in conversion to pervious surface such that we actually... Lowered our community's overall magnitude of stormwater to manage. I think this is probably a question um, for our, our DES team. Are our investments or our plans for the the um, uh, flood resilient Arlington downscalable, such that we could actually, if we were to see the community make enough changes that enough stormwater was retained on individual properties, um, that, that uh, some of our investments weren't needed? Could we reduce the overall amount? Um, that the utility needs to take in.
2: I think it would have to be on a pretty significant scale for that to happen. But absolutely, I mean, our, our program is scalable over time.
3: Yeah.
5: Okay. So,
1: hey, why don't we start with Mr. Carringtonis and work our way down?
5: Thank you, Mr. Chair. Re- relevant to the line of question in here, so. One way to mitigate uh, stormwater is to have pervious surfaces. Right. Uh, the second way is to uh, discharge and drain uh, the the impervious surface into a public system, and the third way is to mitigate on site, like for example, having a cistern or you know saying that's that's the amount of water I can I can take and mitigate on site. That doesn't really count in this case. We are not going to reward or, you know, we're not going to deal with on-site mitigation besides uh, converting into, into pervious. Well, there's the credits.
0: Retention, right? Yeah, so we have the LDA, you know, so mandatory the structural credits, and then we do have rainwater collection as also part of the credits. And,
5: but this cannot, this has a, a cap.
0: There is a, a, a cap. I THINK IT'S IN THE 10% CREDIT.
5: YES. (coughs) OKAY. SO THAT MEANS THAT IF SOMEBODY WANTS TO uh, to BUILD A BIGGER ONE, ESPECIALLY THIS IS AGAIN, YOU KNOW, IF SOMEBODY HAS REALLY A VERY BIG PARKING LOT, ET CETERA, AND THEY WANT TO BUILD A BIGGER ONE, THEY WOULDN'T GET FROM, uh, WOULDN'T GET A, "Quote unquote, an incentive from this program here, they would have to find a, a different way to be yeah, rewarded th- for that."
0: Yeah, I think one yeah. of the reasons, you know, we've limited the amount of credits you can get for each action. And I think it's also important to note that, you know, uh, an individual property owner's impact to the system is just one aspect of, you know, that we're trying to maintain the overall system that I think the mm-hmm. the public all gets a benefit from, mm-hmm. um, and so. You know we're trying to allocate the costs in the best way we can between properties and so we are trying to give a credit for when people do make meaningful contributions like putting rainwater collection or a cistern on their property but we have limited it
1: okay Ms. garvey
4: yeah thank you um, on the rainwater collection so where i live when it rains there's a lot of grass but it puddles very quickly because underneath it the soil is like cement i mean it doesn't soak up anything um, so if someone like has a yard and actually does make turfsag like, maybe into a rain garden, like digs down and gets it to drain, would that would that
0: provide credit? Yes, rainwater a rain garden. That kind of thing would call a rain
4: garden. Credit. That's great. Have that,
0: guidelines on what you, you know, how you need to construct and how to do it.
4: Yes. Okay. That's great. That's good to hear. And then um, I assume there'll be somebody that. I could see someone thinking, they protect them, perhaps that church parking lot that's changed into a forest, um, that they'd wanna know what the cost benefit is, and they might wanna to talk to someone to figure out okay, so if I do this, how much credit am I gonna get, you know, figure trying to do it, and that they might need help on that part, that might, and I'm seeing head nods, so there's somebody they could call and they could kind of work that through with.
0: Absolutely, we'll have a pretty robust credit manual that we'll walk through with pictures and documentation, but then in addition, you know, we'll have resources that, on a the real life person or something. We'll have yeah. um, you know, people you can reach out to at the county for help. And I would also add a lot of the things we're getting credit for are in line with other programs we have at the county, so those resources also exist. Um, you know for example, uh, adopt a streets program we already have or um, you know, new tree planting or education outreach are you know, resources we already have available at the county. So we've been trying to coordinate with those departments to make sure people are aware yeah. that this will be going on.
4: Well, that's great. Apropos of Ms. Crystal's question, I mean, maybe this is going to spark a whole new level of interest in doing all of these things. It might start to make a real difference. Thank you.
1: Thank you. I've got a couple of questions. Uh, so, one of the uh, benefits of the old ad valorem system, and I'm not advocating that. Don't don't get alarmed, Mr. Schwartz. But one of the one of the easy things about it was it really didn't require anybody to calculate. And as we talk about this. You know, you've mentioned the staff that are going to be ongoing to administer the credit program, cost of the credit manual, the mapping, the other technological uh, ongoing investments that we'll need to make here, the business processes to deal with disputes, everything else, you know, not even including the consultant uh, fees that it's taking to get us to this point. What's the ongoing sort of, uh, you know, burden on the general fund that we're absorbing? not to the general fund to the utility that we're absorbing going this route versus where we were before.
0: Um, I can provide an updated cost estimate to you but it's two and a half staff that we've added. Okay. And I think the near map subscriptions $25,000 on an ongoing basis Um, and then uh, so we can provide you the updating accounting but roughly those are the um, ongoing costs and we're really focused on trying to minimize those knowing you know to the point you just said. That it is an added overhead that didn't exist before
1: and that does not diminish my enthusiasm for actually <laughs> charging people in the right way I just want to be very clear about what it means and um, secondarily I don't know if you mentioned this and if you did I apologize but where do our ERU fees uh, stand relative to other jurisdictions that have gone this mm-hmm. this route um, you know do we have any sense of what the per ERU fees look like broadly?
0: Well, I would I would say that, and maybe you have something to add, Krista, to this. But um, other jurisdictions have different measurements for ERU, So we're twenty four hundred. Others maybe, sure. you know, a thousand. So I think we probably need to look at the average single family burden, and we can. And as part of our annual budget process, we always pull that, and so we can update that now. Now that um, jurisdictions are putting out their proposed budgets and provide that as follow up.
1: Great. I look forward to that. Ms. Crystal, do you have another? one? do.
3: Yeah. I just I want to hug the floor. We'll, do, we'll do round two. All right. Thank you. Um, uh, I wanted to ask a little bit about with regard to the credit program. Um, I, I, uh, I really appreciated the point about, you know, really wanting to find activities that are meaningful and have an impact. Um, the ones that, you know, sort of raise questions for me are the ones that are perhaps more uh, kind of one offs. Right. And, and are we really. Um, confident that those are actually likely to reduce um, the overall amount of stormwater or improve the quality of um, uh, with regard to our runoff. And so I wondered, I know our DS team has been thinking a lot about this, but um, is there more that we could say about uh, the the research that substantiates, for example, the idea that a um, uh, a street cleanup or invasive plant cleanup um, can help reduce the overall stormwater burden on the community?
2: I'll simply say that, you know, those water quality types of things are part of the program. So to that extent. Yes, that's helpful. Yes, you do. You do a cleanup or whatever It's going to help the water quality aspect because we have we went very focused lately in the program on the water quantity or the capacity challenges we face. We can't forget. our MS4 permit and the water quality things we're also trying to meet at the same time.
3: Okay. Um, That's a that's a helpful reminder, I think that uh, because we probably talk less as a community about the MS4 permits um, than we do about responding to the magnitude of water uh, that seems to be striking us (coughs) with these major flooding events. Um, I think the only other question I have is and again, I am sort of focused on this idea of, um, you know, to to, to what extent can we really support property owners in reducing impervious surface (laughs) because that serves the broader goal um, and serves their own interest in, in reducing their bill. Um, do we see a role for, you know, perhaps our own urban forestry staff or um, an entity like the Northern Virginia Conservation Trust in helping property owners think about converting and conserving, right, impervious surface to um, pervious surface, whether that's, you know, planting more trees, putting a conservation easement over property, um, you know, or, or, or how have we thought about using partners um, uh, to, to help property owners think through those things. The credits, I think that was a great question that Ms. Garvey had about, you know, what, what is the pathway through which somebody can explore a cost benefit of the credit, but if someone is, I'm especially thinking about these institutional property owners, ready to make a big change on their property, who are the partners that that we can refer them to? Do we think that's something we can do internally? What is the pathway? I would, I would
0: start by saying we are, would definitely be open to partnership. We're looking, you know, for some of the credit program, like um, the stormwater education events, we'd be looking to partner with EcoAction. You know, so I think, you know, definitely uh, that's something we'd be open to. Um, it's not something I think we've had explored at this point, you know, during implementation, but we could look into that. Certainly.
3: Okay, thanks. I think that might be one for follow up. Appreciate it. Okay, back to Mr. Karen Uh
5: Thank you. I, I always understood on the on the financial you know the cost of a near year it said I understood we have to cover the cost of the program so the authority will have to you know have a balance sheet and show what the cost of the program is and it has and it will have to be divided by the ERUs, the total of ERUs, right that's the cost of a near year correct and then we will see what what happens with credits etc so by by that Amount we will never be exactly comparable to somebody else because you know geography, topography, uh, precipitation makes a difference. Whether a jurisdiction is as more of a problem of capturing water as in a problem of you know of being an arid place where you need pervious, impervious surfaces for for other reasons. So um, the my my question is here: We're still capping, you know. Uh, I've seen jurisdictions doing other things like, for example, certifying uh, excellent performing properties because they invested and in, say you are a you know, storm, um, stormwater conservation client A, you know, very high. Um, they they have to renew their certification every X year, like five or so. And these then participate in higher, have an, an active incentive to be an, in a higher credit class. This is especially interesting for commercial clients, you know, with colossal, uh, you know, impervious services, et cetera. Is that something we we thought about, or is this something that, I mean, I understand that how difficult it is to administer that, but this is, this is where, you know, jurisdictions come in and say, well, we are not going to do it piecemeal. We, we will establish one program where somebody will be able to. Classify, and you know, and they will bring the engineering, and they will have the, the the paperwork to show that they did actually mitigate, and then they will be classified as a you know preferred customer for this.
0: Um, I don't know if you have anything to add here, Krista, but I would say uh, we didn't look at that example per se. I mean, we incorporated the LDA structural credits. I think the fifteen percent, you know, the highest you can get. Um, for mandatory structural um and then i would i would say commercial as a whole for some of those bigger commercial properties their burden is going down under this this model um but i don't know um, if there's anything to add or uh, we have our consultants here too they may be able to add something to that conversation if um if there's anything well we can get back to you on follow-up on that
5: yeah um, i've seen that we know, there are three levels and to say if you are Tier one. Normally, the program distributes the fixed cost, so the hard infrastructure cost to everybody. There is no exception to that. It's the variable cost that 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 finds is is credited uh, to those who have a significantly better behavior and invest. Uh, uh, rather than those who cannot do that, and then there are classifications about those who are willingly not doing that, and those who cannot do that because they cannot afford. The
0: only, it. and we can certainly look into that and get back to you. I think the only comment um, I would make is, you know, if you're significantly reducing the burden, especially for some of our larger-paying commercial customers, it will inevitably increase the the ERU rate, um, and so you know, we'll increase the burden then for the others that aren't taking those measures. So it's just, a, you know, be a balancing um, act. Yeah.
5: <laughs> yeah, they're also the greatest contributors to the overall cost of the system, though, because they have, you know, they, they contribute a lot of stormwater and mitigated stormwater. And they can absorb that. And, I mean, we are asking them to invest first, right? Mm-hmm. Here, Ms. Garvey.
4: Yeah, thank you. So thinking about our tree canopy, and um, you know we're always trying to keep track of our tree canopy, and there are people that are upset that we don't keep track of it as much as we should, and I'm thinking we have this biannual flyover that knows exactly what's going on. so can this GIS be used to keep track of how our tree canopy is doing? In, a, in other words, can, is that a byproduct that we
0: could get from this at the same the, time? The, certainly we can see tree and canopy from our GIS information, and you know we did. We have heard recommendations that we should be looking at our tree canopy as part of the credit program. We can certainly go back and and review that. Um, We're certainly very supportive of meeting the stormwater, you know, the stormwater program is very supportive of meeting our tree canopy goals. When we formulated our recommendation for our credit program, we um, wanted to, you know, we included the new tree planting credit to be supportive of that. Um, And because it's a uh, it helps towards our MS4 permit and is one of the more common credits we saw when we looked at, um, you know, other jurisdictions. Um, uh, a credit for sort of tree canopy or mature trees is definitely not as common. We found one example in the country of that, but we can c- certainly go back and review that and um, and kind of weigh that with the administrative yeah.
4: Thank you. And I think it's wonderful the way we also provide trees to people, which is great. What I was thinking actually was was a separate like a, a I think it's DPR that handles this, a separate concern keeping track for different reasons, not for mm-hmm. this. It's just a byproduct that we, 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 we could, you know, instead of paying to have a survey done every so many years, maybe we're just gonna be doing it ourselves and not have to do that. That that was my thought. I don't know. Um Krista, yeah, you've got something to say.
6: Yeah. Well, I was just gonna add that uh, our GIS department is working with all the departments in the county to yes. see how this new tool can meet their needs.
4: Not just trees; so it could be we're, lots of yeah, things. We're not just cars, cars on the remote, street and all kinds of things. Emergency yeah. management, cool. as
0: well as DPR, and Excellent. other departments. Yeah, I think Thank you. Uh, yeah. RGS team's very excited about this new near map tool. And I think there will be a lot. Of, they
4: must be. And yeah. so
0: when I mentioned the cost of near map, I think uh, ultimately probably um, Stormwater will not be the only one. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, I, I was sort NearMap of thinking because there will be a mm-hmm. lot of
4: so that out. might change our cost recovery possibly. Anyway, thank you. I'm
1: going to stop this conversation so we don't open up a line of engagement <laughs> yeah. from our public about invasive drones and privacy. So let's. You just... may have just <laughs> open it up. <laughs> anyway, um, let's see, I'll. I THINK I HAD ANOTHER ONE. Uh, AS IT RELATES TO uh, ONE OF THE CREDIT OPTIONS, LET ME JUST GO BACK TO THAT SLIDE TO REFRESH MY OWN MEMORY HERE. Um, THERE IS THE ONE, THE LAST VOLUNTARY ACTION IN THE 10% BUCKET, THE parking, PARKING LOT PRIVATE STREET SWEEPING. CAN YOU JUST TELL ME A LITTLE BIT MORE ABOUT WHAT THAT IS? IT SEEMS AT LEAST ON ITS FACE TO BE A LITTLE BIT DIFFERENT FROM THE OTHERS AS THE OTHERS ARE Affirmative actions that someone would take to do something different uh, than they are already doing it, and that seems to be like ongoing maintenance. So, tell me more.
6: I'll take that. Okay, good. Uh, so, this would be if a you know a apartment building or a non-residential facility chooses to do the street sweeping to remove debris, leaves uh, among their privately owned uh, facilities, the streets, the parking lots. Um, and just recognizing that that helps toward the water quality. You know, we're rem- removing those pollutants from, you know, potentially getting into our waterways. So that's a helpful uh, helpful action there. And we also saw this in some of the other regions and uh, neighboring jurisdictions have this available as well.
0: I would add that it's four times annually. So where some people may be doing it currently, they may not be doing it at the scale of four times, you know, which okay. I think would be the why we put it there is to so we could see a measurable benefit.
1: I see. And how would you document that they've complied?
0: I think we'd be looking at you know either receipts through the, you know assuming they're contracting out or some other evidence that they've um, that they've uh, completed the action.
6: The credit manual does uh, go through which type of sweeper is required to perform the sweeping and then all the documentation the square footage and things like that so that That's we have exciting. it in the in the credit manual of you know kind of what to look for and helpful hints okay.
1: all right looks like we can continue
0: okay we're moving into the public engagement phase Um, We've done a lot of engagement on the stormwater utility since we last spoke with you. This timeline summarizes some of that work. We created a project website with information about the proposed utility and links to meetings, uh, presentations and other materials. The county established the stormwater utility advisory group, or what we call the SUGAG in March, which included representatives from residential, commercial, nonprofit, environmental, fiscal and faith organizations to provide a range of perspectives and input. The SUGAG met five times during the year to advise staff and provide input on the utility's draft rate structure and credit program. The county also gathered input from the broader community via a feedback form and a public open house in July. General information on the proposed utility was shared in the Inside Arlington email newsletter through an informational video in the annual water quality report that was mailed to all households and with a fact sheet and infographic. County staff shared information on the utility at several public events throughout the year and gave presentations to groups such as the Civic Federation, Chamber of Commerce, Arlington Neighborhood Village, the Faith Alliance, and the Forestry and Natural Resource Commission. As shown on an earlier slide, we also developed an online mapping tool that allows property owners to view their estimated stormwater utility fee and includes a comment form. From this engagement, staff received a lot of very useful feedback. In general, the community thinks that charging for stormwater services based on impervious area makes sense. Stakeholders overall were very interested and supportive of the credit program. And during our engagement with faith and nonprofit organizations, they emphasized that additional time before implementation would be very helpful to them for budget planning. They also noted that the credit program would be very important for their organizations for affordability. Some stakeholders expressed concern about how this change to a utility might affect lower income members of the community and suggested that the county try to mitigate that impact. Because shifting from the tax to the fee would have a greater impact on nonprofit and faith organizations, staff hosted two engagement sessions for these stakeholders to share information and receive feedback. In addition to hearing about concerns about being charged for stormwater for the first time, these organizations emphasized that additional time for implementation would be helpful for their budget planning, and the credit program would be very important again. Credits for group volunteer activities were emphasized as an important element of the credit program that faith organizations would be well positioned to take advantage of and they are interested in a higher cap on the credit program. They express concern about how the fee would affect their ability to offer other community services. This slide more directly shows how what we heard during engagement informs some of our recommendations. We heard from the faith based community more time would be helpful again for financial planning and so we are recommending a deferred timeline for implementation with the first bill in calendar year 2024. We heard concern for low income residents. We are recommending the multifamily flat rate for multifamily housing in order to lower the burden increase for the garden style apartments. We heard from our faith based community that volunteer events would be valuable to the credit program. And so we incorporated these types of events with higher credit amounts. We are also applying volunteer credit actions on the entire property, not just the individual parcels for the faith based institutions and other non residential properties. And lastly, we received feedback that credit should be given not just for new practices, but for some existing practices properties have already undertaken. We included some grandfathering based on the feedback, specifically for rainwater collection, rain gardens, and permeable driveways and parking lots. Um, So our current timeline recommends the new utility rate and ordinance become effective for calendar year 2024. This addresses a number of issues and concerns from a project perspective. First, we heard again from our faith-based community that they would like more time to financially plan. Second going into calendar year 2024 or going live in 2024 um, allows enough time for people to implement the practices necessary to receive credits. An earlier go live date would not have given ample time to property owners to implement credit actions to be able to apply for credits. This would have potentially been an affordability issue, particularly for our faith-based community who is very interested in the voluntary credit program to reduce their burden. Third, this provides a reasonable timeline that will allow thorough testing of our new um, billing processes. We are well underway with implementation and the complexities of the project have become much more clear. Um, IT INCLUDES NEW BUSINESS PROCESSES AND TECHNOLOGY DEVELOPMENT AND COLLABORATING ACROSS MANY COUNTY DEPARTMENTS. IT IS IMPERATIVE THAT WE GET THIS RIGHT AS WE ARE BILLING EVERY PARCEL IN THE COUNTY AND WE'RE BILLING THEM ON THEIR REAL ESTATE TAX BILL. AND LASTLY, IT HAS THE ADDED BENEFIT OF ALLOWING MORE TIME TO COMMUNICATE THE CHANGE TO THE PUBLIC. THIS SLIDE LAYS OUT OUR RECOMMENDED TIMELINE IN DETAIL. WE WILL ADVERTISE AND ADOPT THE CALENDAR YEAR 2023 SANITARY DISTRICT TAX FOR stormwater AS PART OF THE NORMAL FY24 BUDGET PROCESS as shown on number nine and 10 on this chart. At the same time, we will also um, we are also recommending the board advertise and adopt a resolution that will demonstrate the county board's intent to adopt the stormwater utility to go into effect for calendar year 2024. This is shown on number five on the timeline and we'll go into more details on that on the next slide. The first stormwater utility bill would go out in May 2024 as part of the calendar year 2024 real estate bill shown on number, as number six on this chart. Next slide. Um, This slide lays out um, what lays ahead in order to adopt the new utility in calendar year 2024. If the county board accepts the recommendations in this presentation, we would advertise a resolution on the stormwater utility this February or March, which would include the board's intent to adopt the new utility rate ordinance, recommended rate structure, and fee prior to the start of calendar year 2024. The resolution would also include adoption of the credit program practices and credit amounts so property owners can begin to implement credit actions. The credit program manual would remain an administrative document that would be updated periodically. The resolutions would be adopted in April. And this is all shown in red on this um, slide. Adoption of this resolution would enable property owners to begin submitting credit applications on November 1st, 2023 for the calendar year 2024 billing period. Then we we would be coming back to the board in late fall to advertise the utility ordinance, new rate structure and new rate and adopting prior to the beginning of the calendar year 2024. The first bill for calendar year 24 would go out to property owners in May, as shown in blue on this line. Adopting the new fee and rate ordinance prior to the calendar year 2024 beginning and off budget cycle will need to be done for the first year of implementation only. After that and after the utility has been established, we'll be able to advertise and adopt as part of the normal budget process. And with that, that wraps up the presentation.
1: Thank you very much. this round, we'll start with Mr. DeFranco. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Um,
7: the question concerns the um, experiences that other localities have had in, in working with their nonprofit and uh, faith-based organizations. Have you done? Have we done a, a scan to, on on other localities to get a sense? I was. I, I also know that there's some uh, coalition interfaith groups that have worked with. Fairfax I was just on the phone with one of them today and just didn't know if you guys had seen how they've gotten to compliance and how they've been able to work together in other localities.
0: Um, Certainly we've been in a lot of contact with our surrounding jurisdictions especially as part of the feasibility stage. And that was why uh, based on that feedback and some pitfalls that maybe some other jurisdictions ran into during implementation which is why. A large part of our engagement really focused on outreach to our faith based organizations and we'll continue to do that outreach. Um, You know we've um, I think we have had robust outreach to to this point but I think it's a big change and so we need to continue to reach out and communicate. Um, And we were very open to hearing from feedback from them which is why I think our initial some of our original recommendations with our credit program you know. uh, from the feedback we heard from that community informed some changes we made, um, including adding more um, volunteer-based um, options You know, at higher amounts. Uh, you know, you heard the deferred timeline was a big one and just how important the credit program would be to them, which ultimately also we realized we needed um, sort of more time for people to implement the practices so they could get that those credits. Um,
7: did I, Just one follow-up. I want to make sure I, I got this clear. There's not a 35 percent cap overall by law. It's a effectively, if you continue to work that cap on the credit up, then it means means that the efficacy, the whole system doesn't work as well. So it's not a legal reason. It's a I mean, solid, you know, everybody else pays it's more. A,
0: it's not a legal re- reason. It's specific. You know, it's a specific recommendation for Darlington that we're making.
1: Great. Thank you.
5: Terrific. All right, going back, Mr. Karen Thank you, Mr. Chair. So again, um, about the faith-based organizations, they have been more vocal about uh, this and more concerned because they are the only ones uh, who don't pay anything under the current system. So for them, is the dotation a a big deal? Um, And there are some, I mean, the the issue with outreach there is there are some who uh, definitely can afford that. It's a matter of, you know, providing for this and preparing for that but there are also some who don't Uh, and you know for them the adaptation will be even more difficult. So do we track that Do we have an idea uh, of you know how many out of this class which is not a homogeneous class how many of these are you know kind of just a mechanics of transition and others who really will face a, a financial burden here to to understand, to have an an initial understanding of where we are?
0: Um, I would say we don't have access to the specific financial data for all our um, faith-based organizations, but the average impact per parcel is about $1,800 per unit. I think a lot of uh, per parcel, excuse me, not per unit, but, um, you know, certainly for some of our very large uh, faith-based organizations, it is a, significant burden shift for them, an increase in burden when you think of, you know, Bishop O'Connell and some of these large campuses. But there are, you know, I think the average um, faith-based organization is a lot smaller footprint. And so we're not talking the scale like the, the, of the example we showed today. But that is a certainly a concern. Um, I think we have limited tools in the stormwater toolbox to help with uh, let's say, a credit program specifically targeted or a, a grant program funded out of stormwater to target those organizations. So in terms of um, you know looking at anything else we wanted to put in our toolbox for helping um, organizations that may have an issue with being able to afford it you know, could potentially come through a grant through the general fund or something like that. At this point, we haven't um, recommended that, but that's something that could be.
5: Thank you. I'm, I'm not after finding a solution before we define the problem. Yeah. So uh, I just want to understand how big the problem is. I actually have the impression that, uh, well, uh, I can imagine a couple of uh, cases, not only a couple, a few cases that the problem will be acute and we'll, we'll need to think creatively, whether inside the program or outside of the program, uh, like we do with other, you know, fees, etc. We offer people a uh, an ability to financially structure it, to, to financially structure their payments in different way, etc. But after after, trying to find out what is the actual pressure, uh, how how acute, how problematic this is, I I believe that I've heard from many uh, faith-based constituents that it's just a matter of adaptation, they will find a way, they just need the time, we are already giving some time, That's, that's, that's fine, it's just a matter of working well together, but others who are really You know uh, flagging that and I wanted to know you know what what is there
0: Um, we can certainly try to see if we can get more feedback and data I think we'd have to get that feedback from the faith-based community I think we definitely heard some of the things we heard and engagement echoed some of the things you said more time would be helpful others were concerned that maybe it would impact the services they're providing the community so it costs them money to provide services that they're providing um, to those in our community and maybe that would have to be offset with now this fee that they have to pay to the to the county um, I think it's a big change so obviously I think it creates a little uh, it does create stress for these organizations to think through sort of a new uh, financial reality that they're they're going to have to plan for and I think yes every every faith-based organization probably has a different situation they're dealing with but we can continue to sort of reach out and see if we can get more information from those churches that may be uh, feeling like they don't have the tools to, um, you know, plan for this. Right, Ms. Garvey.
4: Yeah, thank you, I don't have any more questions, I don't think, I just wanna say how impressed I am at this approach, I mean, it's been, I think, really thoughtful, very deliberate, and very customer-centric, so I was really pleased to hear that we've got this simplicity of credit verification, that, that, just that one, and saying that a lot of other places don't, they make them do it twice, which is, just drives people crazy. Um, Thank you for that. Really appreciate it. And all of the the work, I mean, we're all aware that our, you know, faith-based organizations may have trouble with this, and just, it feels like a lot of effort has been taken and will continue to be taken to help them get through this. I think if you look around, it's really clear why this, it really makes sense, I think, this new new approach that we're taking. Um, and then using the GIS and having it going across the, you know, we've got, got, a, got a nice tool here that could be used by a lot of different, right? so the silos are getting broken down. So I'm just impressed with the you know customer centered thoughtful approach and really appreciate it thank you, thank
2: you. mr. chair I, just, I wanted to give tyler and krista a chance to talk a little bit about something that has driven me to distraction for years driving down uh, washington boulevard and seeing the pentagon parking lots <laughs> so we talk a little bit about how we'll be capturing that
0: so uh under the utility the federal government will be required to pay whereas previously they were tax exempt now that's not. Some properties will not. So actually, unfortunately, the Pentagon yeah, has their own MS4 darn. permit. <laughs>
1: <laughs> like if the Pentagon had to pay, we wouldn't. Yeah, have, never mind. In Arlington, pay. Well,
0: so properties that have their own MS4 permit by state code are exempt, so they will not pay. Um, but certainly, other federal government properties in the county will, um, and so that is uh, a change for those organizations. You know, for those um, entities. So. It, we send them
2: the manual and it's, it's it's a good shoot. thing. Actually, I had forgotten the Pentagon does have its own MS4 permit, and that's a good thing. Um, and we will of course be following to see how they comply with their own MS4 permit. As I am
4: saying, we should send in the manual.
1: I think it could be helpful <laughs> for them as they think our ERU rate would be like eight cents if we could collect from the <laughs> Pentagon. <My> <laughs> gosh, <laughs> that would be beautiful. They
5: do rain gardens. From the- <laughs> <laughs>
1: Uh, one more for me, and I'm sorry if I if I missed this before, but since uh, formerly the exempt organizations weren't going to be getting bills before, how are we billing them? directly?
0: We'll still be billing them through our real estate tax bill, and that comes down to the coordination we've been doing with the Department of Real Estate Assessments okay. to send that. They... Drea does track those properties and okay. so we've been making sure we have that data that it's accurate that our billing addresses are correct. Okay. And so uh, treasure system will be getting that information to be able to bill them. Okay. That's where some of the complexities things like that have sure. you know.
1: Sure. I can imagine
0: uh, come up during this project. <laughs> and,
1: and as part of that work uh, you know are any of the tools that the treasurer uses to help households smooth over their real estate tax payments or any of them. Uh, D- denied for for use for the utility fee, or are they all in play?
0: Yeah, we'll follow right. the existing treasure practices, which okay. is part of the reason I think it was um, beneficial to bill on the real estate tax bill. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I mean, just you know, for our our broader community, you know, again, the the treasurer has programs that allow people to spread that payment out over time. I can't remember how however many months, but the she continues to drive the costs of of doing that pay overtime time, even lower, it seems each and every year. And so if that's available for uh, large institutions, they should avail themselves of it. And there are a number of other things. So it's, that's good news. Mr. DeFerrante. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Just one question. I mean, broadly,
7: um, slot, this is a big picture question that perhaps could have gone in an earlier section, but I'll be succinct. It's slide 14 has that pie chart with the shift from single family to Essentially, single-family detached, to um, in terms of burden taking a little more of the burden because that's where the impervious surface is, to um, and multifamily decreasing somewhat. Um, you mentioned earlier that 68% of um, households will see a ni- about a $95 increase, and it, it, we have to address stormwater and flood resiliency. Um, it was a huge issue. We haven't had something like July 8th, 2019 in a long time, but every time it rains, we all think of it. And so we have to address that infrastructure. But I wonder, net, if there's an increase. I want to be able to simply explain when, not now, when people you know, are not paying focused attention to this, even though we are doing the, the work, but also going forward and six months in the fall, and as we get closer to the time that people will feel these bills, I want to be able to say, is this a net increase in the total amount we're investing? And it, and that's because of the stormwater facilities, which are funded partly by us, by this, and partly by the bond. Um, is it a net increase? Do I have that piece of it correct? And is there a way we might be able to sort of show simply what we're doing to to, you know, why we're doing it in addition to a more fair way of distribu- distributing the costs.
0: So, if I'm understanding your question correctly. I think you're curious about, in the future, can we communicate the portion of their rate that's due to burden shifting versus new uh, expanding of stormwater costs in the program and our capital program? And yes. I think, you know... Uh, we certainly, I think, can demonstrate that. This, this slide we um, were showing was trying to show at the lower end of our fee structure that the 230 estimated rate, that assumes like-for-like costs right now, so apples to apples, so that whole $96 shift to single-family uh, detached would be due to the burden shift. So next year, when we come forward with our new rate, anything above $230, if, you know, if we came in at a rate of 240 or 250, that delta between the 230 and the 250 that um, $20 would be due to expanding cost of our program. Um, if if so I, if I could
2: just remind the board you increased I think it was two years ago the ad valorem rate by was it two thirds of a cent. Uh, uh, two tenths of a cent. I think you would so know this Krista. One, <laughs>
4: 1. 1.3 cents <laughs> 3, to yes. 1.7 cents. Yeah, well, <laughs> four,
2: four ten- and the reason to do that in the, uh, beside the burden sharing was the bond issues that we put out and to meet the debt service obligations for that, so while there is uh, shifting from one source to the other, there is just a, a huge increase in the level of effort that's occurred in the last two years, and where that's going to also be you know picked up by the ratepayers right So the base of what
7: we're providing is a little bit changing over time, and I'll submit that I might not be the only person who doesn't quite get that immediately so you know, it may, might be worth teasing that out some way. We've had these bond issues, and therefore there's this slight increase in our base facilities. But um, thanks, Mr. <laughs> Chair, and thanks, staff,
1: for leadership. Mr. Carantonis. Uh
5: Last question. Uh, so, transparency. The, the ERUs that correspond to a property that are, you know, charged, will be charged in fiscal year 2024, 20, they will show up in the in the public listing of their property data assessments, etc. This will be distinctly visible, right?
0: Correct. We'll have two ways that you can view that. You'll see it in the property fee lookup tool, which we will you know we'll have a version 2.0 coming out, and then we'll have a version 3.0 that will be um, you know more kept more up to date, more frequently and then also through property search lookup when we've been coordinating with treasurers and DTS and Drea uh, very recently had a number of meetings on how we're gonna change that website so that the stormwater information will be very clear and it will also be very clear that it's not part of your real estate tax, that it is a separate fee.
5: Thank you.
1: Okay, so you really identified three areas that you wanted to get clear feedback on and so I want to first ask of you Do you have the clear feedback or colleagues do you want to provide clear feedback on those three issues and they relate to of course uh, the rate structure of the credit program and the timeline. So anything that you have Mr. DeFranti
7: I'm glad you asked Uh, we received a lot of information but didn't have that clear relief so um, all three pieces. I've not had conversations with at least I'm persuaded that shifting so that we shouldn't just be assessing property values and we should be assessing and focusing on um, impervious cover. So that's on the rate structure, the credit program. I asked that earlier question about the 35 percent just to make sure I was aligned. And then the community engagement, I do agree that um, we want to be thorough in the process. So you have a head nod on all three for me. Thank you, Ms. Crystal.
3: Um, certainly I, to begin at the end, I think the recommended timeline is thoughtful and responsive to the feedback that we've gotten. And I think that um, uh, I am uh, not overly optimistic that we can obviate the concern that will come eventually when a bill lands and focuses uh, doorstep for the first time, but I, I think it does give time for that continued engagement. Um, I am pleased with the the shifting of the rate structure. I think this is the, the right way to do this and I hope that it will. Um, encourage people to, to to change their the distribution of their property and how it's contributing to our um stormwater uh, and, and water quality issues. That uh, does lead me to, to, to part two. I think the credit program is designed is very thoughtful. I think the only thing I might give in feedback is I, I would love to see us put a commensurate amount of emphasis on a program and effort to help property owners reduce the amount of impervious surface on their lot. Um, I, I think that is, uh, you know, I don't uh, uh, Mr. Manuel's point is well taken. It would ha- we'd have to be reducing an awful lot of impervious surface to actually have to, to be able to actually constrain the size of our program. Um, but we have a lot of impervious surface and a lot of good strategies to reduce it. And um, I would for one um, be so much more encouraged to see, you know, major transitions of large surface parking lots into um, uh, natural spaces uh, and and individual homeowners, to the extent reasonable, making decisions to to introduce pervious surfaces where where formerly there was um, you know a large amount of runoff. I would find that to be such a better outcome than seeing you know uh, not not to pick on them, but just see, seeing more invasive removals. Right, like I, those are worth doing. They're they're great for our community. Um, I, I remain a little unpersuaded that that is going to make the large scale difference in the resiliency and the, and, the, and the flood resistance of this community that actually conversion of impervious surface to pervious surface at the, at the largest scale possible. So um, uh, as is our want, you know, we, we tell you everything's great, do more. <laughs> and staff is of course already stretched very thin, um, uh, but I would, I would be encouraged if we could maybe could just continue to give more thought um, as we have done for the, as you all have done for the credit program to that, that question of conversion. Um, as well, but certainly the credit program as as designed has my support. Thank you.
1: Thank you. And I'll just say for me, uh, very, very happy to proceed as you have proposed on all three areas. Um, you know, I will say i I don't love the credit program not because of anything that you've done, just the fact that we have to have one in the first place. Um, and and the reason I say that i'm I'm very much convinced that, As you have taken careful pains to acknowledge this is not really an incentive program in the sense of a financial incentive It doesn't pencil out for anybody to do any of this stuff. Um, And so therefore we have credits that effectively amount to uh, what did you describe. Uh, uh, Thank you for doing well but that add to the overall program costs that we have to then share with everyone so it's like what the heck are we doing here. It doesn't really make sense but that's not your fault that's something to to just look at in the future Um, and to Ms. Crystal's point the things that would really move the dial and make a difference. um, You know this program is really silent on whether or not you should do it because people don't see it reflected in anything material. But again that's a that's a an overall issue And, and the timeline I think does meet my needs in just making sure we are able to socialize this to the fullest extent possible. And I think, uh, you know, the challenge for us will be particularly for those who were formerly exempt from paying anything to make sure they have an opportunity to be heard and also to um, hear about the various methods that we have in place already to smooth out this new impact. I do believe that for the vast majority of them, uh, the most important thing for them to be able to meet this new obligation is just the time. TO um, TO RAISE THE MONEY TO TO DO IT. Um, SO I THINK WE'RE WE'RE MEETING THAT AND WE'LL WORK WITH THE REST uh, WHO HAVE PARTICULAR CIRCUMSTANCES NOT ALREADY ACCOUNTED FOR. Uh, MR. Karantonis FOR THE LAST WORD.
5: I, uh, MS. Garvey, FIRST. WELL, SHE DIDN'T HAVE THE LIGHT ON. SO okay. THAT'S I, you. I DID A
4: LOT OF THANK YOU'S AND I'm, I'm, I'M FINE. THANK YOU. I WILL ADD MY
5: THANK YOU FIRST. Um, SIMILAR TO MY COLLEAGUES, uh, I HAVE TO SAY, um, the, uh, to your first question about the rate structure, um, I'm, I'm fine with with the word this with with the with work uh, he already presented. Um, I have to think about you know how do we you know all credit programs and everything we do if we want to induce good good behavior it has to translate into something that helps uh, you know reduce and and make make the the stormwater more manageable, therefore, so less expensive, uh, etc. So for now, we are providing um, credits on a good faith basis that are you know, somehow reducing, but we cannot quantify that. We cannot show, right? So I've uh, been through this policy discussion before, and on both sides of stormwater, both in, in areas with a lot of stormwater problems and in areas that uh, try to conserve water in general. So. Uh, and uh, in uh, usually the um, the policy has the decisions that have uh, established somewhere a threshold of user type a threshold of type of um, of uh, store management entity that would go would be very important so huge you know, owners of huge parking lots. People who contribute a lot and, or have a lot of, a, of, a, of an ability to, to invest, they would count somewhere else. And uh, some of these programs have been penalizing those who haven't. So, for example, there is a tier four here that goes you know, linear per ERU. I can imagine in the future that you say, well, linear by ERU, but after a certain, you know, above a certain surface, above a certain number of ERUs, your burden will be 90% higher make something to make, to bring it back show me the equivalent of reducing that and for me this is a this is the, the line of how i feel of how i think about that uh, if somebody has an enormous parking lot and you know they may have the the capacity you know a mall for example the capacity of mitigating that for now linearly but we actually as a community we just re- literally don't want them to have this we want them to reverse to something that's way more sustainable and manageable and and contributes less to the pro- to the burden of the program in, in total to the cost of the PROGRAM in TOTAL, so we would have to build at some point in, 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 an incentive from this point of view of you know penalizing their very use uh, the credit program, I already commented on that. I'm very interested in seeing what we can do uh, to find out who is most burdened here and who will really have a, a transition issue. For me, it's just a matter of managing the time uh, until you know everybody is uh, you know, fairly per, per, uh, in a condition to participate in the program without an, a undue burden. And uh, that's, that answers the timeline. Yep. Question, thank you.
1: Okay, thank you. Do we have all that we need? Mr. Schwartz, thank you. Okay, thank you. Consider uh, this work session concluded. Thank you for the very hard work. This has been um, we know an enormous enormous undertaking over the course of the year. So thanks to all of you. I know you had a great consultant team behind you and I think we all on the board appreciate being kept uh, in the loop as you encountered uh, major touch points that you wanted to Get this sort of okay to proceed on. So I think this has really worked well and uh, let's move it toward the finish line. Thank you. Thank you. So, with that, colleagues, I will move that we uh, finish this work session and then move to uh, convene a closed meeting as authorized by Virginia Code Sections 2.2, 37, A19, uh, for a discussion with staff of plans to protect public safety as it relates to terrorist activity. And actions taken to respond to such matters, and uh, to also have a uh, briefing by staff members of law enforcement concerning actions to take actions taken to respond to such matters related to a, th- a threat to public safety. Do I have a second? Second. So seconded. All those in favor, please say aye. 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 Any opposed? The ayes have it. We are now in closed session. Thank you all.